Welcome to the Streamline Training Show, where we teach busy people to cut through the noise around health and fitness to find a few fundamental truths that will let you make real changes to your habits so you can get maximum fitness results in minimal time using the smallest, most powerful frameworks. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Johnny Wilson, the host of the Streamline Training Show, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Laura Wilson. Babe, uh, tis the season. Tis. Tis the season. Um, what do you think about the season right now? What's the What's our season like? Well, for those who don't know which season, it's the holiday season. <laughs> that's, that's a fair fair point. Podcasts are tis, timeless. Tis football season. True. Tis. All the seasons. Finals season. Oh, yeah. We're final both, season. We're both professors at school and finals are in full swing. Well, they're, yes. next week is finals week, so yeah. prep. Finals prep is in full swing. But more importantly, tis the season, the holiday season. The holiday season. <laughs> that's right. Which, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised you didn't say, the season to tis. <laughs> because <laughs> my wife is straight up wearing a uh, Yoda onesie. Yeah. She, we were in the living room earlier today. And I was doing something. I think I was programming. And uh, you walked in wearing <laughs> wearing a Yoda onesie. Okay. To give some backstory, I was cleaning out the closet in our guest room to prepare the nursery for our son who will be arriving in the next couple months. And I found this beauty that has been a hidden treasure. Johnny has never seen it in person, so I had to give a show, and it's quite hilarious the way it fits me in the midsection right now. Looks like Yoda had a few too many whatever Yoda eats. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen somebody wear. (laughs) It is amazing. The ears flop. It's it's great. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Well, what's your favorite thing about the holidays? For real, for real. Not just the Yoda outfits. Yeah. Favorite thing about the favorite holidays? Favorite thing. I love the holidays. It's probably my favorite time of year. But specifically in this season, the season of seasons, it's Annie, our daughter, experiencing mm. uh, the holidays for the first time. Like last year, she was here, mm-hmm. but she was six months old, five months old, so she didn't really understand. Very any little of it. personality. Yeah, and she still doesn't understand a lot of it. But like tonight when which she loves to watch football (laughs) praise god (laughs) when the football game went off an olaf special came on and it was magical for her oh yeah oh yeah so just seeing her get really excited about christmas lights and the christmas tree she helped me write presents this afternoon Mm -hmm. well she really impeded yeah she probably got present wrapping but it was still a lot of fun Uh, so that's probably my favorite part right now what about you? What's well, your favorite? It's bizarre how Annie has all of the emotions that I have and none of the control. Is that your favorite part? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> she just has so many emotions. You were talking about her experiencing Christmas for the first time. Yeah. Really, you know, for real for the first time. And the emotions are crazy. Not yeah. really about Christmas. She doesn't know what Christmas is. Right. She just has crazy amounts of emotions. And yeah. no ability to control them. And so she goes from manic high to like savagery in a second like laughing to immediately screaming her head off yeah which is rare to be fair yeah that's true she's not she's not that i guess bipolar no (laughs) but she has some pretty hard swings sure well also i'm a female and so is she so i feel like i get that more 
(laughs) (laughs) I think it's a little bit of a female thing. Yeah, it could be. It could be. But, yeah, hopefully as she matures, so will her ability to control her emotions. That's going to need... That's that's a must. That's going to need to happen. It will. It will. My favorite thing about the holidays, well, really it's just being with family in general. Yeah. So, you know, when we started our family, that's my de facto answer. It's just being with you guys around the holidays and then experiencing stuff with you guys so anytime we get a chance to watch a christmas movie or look at christmas lights etc that's my favorite stuff it's just being around mm-hmm. with you guys and then i also really enjoy cooking uh, i don't know holiday foods yeah cooking feast yeah cooking mm-hmm. feasting yeah i love cooking in general and i love cooking holiday stuff because it's just an opportunity to pay a little bit more or spend a little bit more on food than we normally would mm-hmm. and buy really good food. Yeah. So we make really good chocolate chip cookies oh, around so the holidays. Good. Occasionally we make cinnamon rolls around the holidays, turkeys. We may smoke a brisket next week. Oh, and those Japanese milk rolls. Oh man. Oh, yeah. So good. Which sounds very Christmas, but. Oh man, it's incredible. <laughs> so good. So anyway, that's probably one of my favorite things. Honestly, it's just cooking and eating food with the family. Which is just appropriate for this episode because we're talking about weight loss. <laughs> Flawless segue right there. Man. Yeah, I think that uh, this is probably a good episode for me to have right before we <laughs> step back into celebrating the holidays. But all right, so last episode we talked a bit about the calorie equation or what you called the energy balance equation and what was on both sides of those. And we hinted a little bit about weight loss or fat loss versus um, gaining some muscle mass, trying to put on some weight. And we, we teased you guys saying that we were going to dive into those with some more detail, uh, get into the minutia. So we're going to do that today, starting with fat loss. Yeah, today's about the the strategies, the, well, I guess the, the why and the how, the strategies and tactics behind fat loss, specifically fat loss, not just weight loss. Although right. that's, well, like we talked about last week, that's hand a component. Hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. they go hand in hand so it's a you pretty much have to do one to get the other right but specifically we're going to talk about fat loss and about the the different reasons you might go into a fat loss phase and then really what's what are the most effective ways that you could go about it to get the best results in the least amount of time yeah okay well let's just jump right in so my favorite question of all questions is why so why fat loss why is gamora (laughs) 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 <laughs> I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? Why would someone go into a fat loss phase? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, usually it's just to look better. Which sure. There's not a problem with that. There are occasions when I work with a lot of athletes that are looking to get faster, uh, more explosive. They want to jump higher. Performance-based. Yeah, it's performance-based. And so not only do they want to lose fat to increase their strength-to-body mass ratio, which is a measure of athletic ability, but they also want to reduce the quote-unquote drag they experience on the field or on the court. Yeah. And it makes sense. If you're a volleyball player and you can take off a 10-pound weight vest, you're going to jump higher. Yeah, sure. If you lose 10 pounds of fat and keep all the muscle you had, man, you're going to be a better volleyball player, usually. Mm-hmm. That is not a one-to-one correlation. But you can see the same thing with cross-country. You know, If you took off a 10-pound weight vest, there's not a lot of sports you wouldn't be better at. Unless your sport is dependent or success in your sport is dependent on your size. Sure. Like wrestling, something like that. Yeah. Wrestling, football, rugby, even uh, forwards and centers and basketball. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. They need to be a little bigger to 
take some hits or to give some hits. Yeah. So if your sport is dependent on size, then that's one reason you may not want to do a fat loss phase. Yeah. So you said performance-based and then um, essentially aesthetic. Aesthetics, yeah. So I think another, we're used to working with the athletic population, but for the general population, just health, mm-hmm. right? Blood pressure blood pressure's too high, cholesterol's mm-hmm. too high. There's some sort of um, biomarker that is yeah. off. Maybe they're... BMI is high, which mm-hmm. we can, we probably should talk about BMI. At yeah, some let's point. do that real quick. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, so so BMI, body mass index. Give us a breakdown of what that is, Johnny. It's a comparison of your body mass to your demographic nationally, and so there's a range, um, and the scores are essentially in the teens up into the 40s, although technically it's infinite. Sure, <laughs> It just yeah. depends on how big you can get. <laughs> Deep and wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the body mass index essentially scores you against the, the company of your peers and um, the, what would be the ideal body weight for your height, for your age, and for your sex. And so if you're a 42-year-old male, and you weigh 160 pounds, you'll get a specific score. I don't know what it is, but you'll get a specific score, a BMI, a body mass index score, which rates you against other people in your category, uh, which would be your age, your height, and your gender, your sex. And then you would be given um, within that range whether or not you'd have a a healthy score. And so the averages kind of skew upward as you age. So it's normal, uh, it's common, and it's acceptable as you age to be slightly heavier, to have slightly more body fat, but it's a very slight margin. So it's really just a gauge to see if you are, quote unquote, in the ideal body mass, not body fat, but Mm -hmm. overall weight, right? body weight for your age, your sex, and your uh, height. And it doesn't consider your, uh, like you said, your fat mass or your fat free mass that's right so you've got some people who like bodybuilders yes they're gonna land in the obese category especially if they're shorter the shorter you are the more muscle you have the the higher you're going to be on that scale and there's there are different categories that you fall in normal overweight obese for those who are unfamiliar with the bmi i'm Um, in the overweight category by the way well, you have been trying to put on weight. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, and <laughs> and it doesn't differentiate. It doesn't differentiate, like you said, body fat and and muscle mass. Right. And of course, in a weight gain phase, you're going to put on body fat, and mm-hmm. there's no no denying that I've done that. But compared to my peers, I also have significantly more muscle mass than the average person sure. of my age yeah. and my height and my sex. Yeah. Well, if you look at freshman Johnny, he was underweight. So <laughs> yeah, I was definitely underweight. Referenced him a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did you, trick? No, not trick question. Trivia question. Mm. Do you know where BMI began? You're going to have to answer that one for me. Insurance. Oh, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So when, uh, I'm, and I might say this a little off base here, but when they were determining life insurance with life expectancy, they used BMI wow. as a calculation. And so we use it in the medical field a lot, but it actually began in insurance. Yeah. So there you go. When you're out on Thursday night trivia, insurance is the answer. There you go. And to kind of wrap it up, BMI is a, is a good lagging indicator of general populations. So what I mean is it doesn't really give you a lot of useful information. Like it doesn't tell you, you need to lose a bunch of fat 
or you have no muscle. Sure. Because you could have a, a quote unquote ideal BMI and zero muscle mm-hmm. and be mostly fat. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can't tell you that. Like the, right. it doesn't the scale is not useful in that regard. It just tells you the score. However, it can be a really good indication. Like if insurance comes back and sees your BMI, mm-hmm. and we know that certain BMIs are correlated with certain morbidities, yeah. then it can be pretty obvious to somebody that it would not otherwise be obvious to that they need to make a change. Right, exactly. So it can be a really useful measure. If you look mm-hmm. at your BMI, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was in the high 30s. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to spell big problems for me in my older age. Okay, well then there's some motivation to make a change there that wasn't there before. Right. Yes, absolutely. And on the flip side of that, just a, a nice little anecdotal story. I was in probably seventh or eighth grade, and maybe a little older, went for my sport physical, um, and I saw a nurse practitioner I'd never seen before. She walked in the room, and her first sentence to me was, well, you're not obese. <laughs> and I said, thank you? <laughs> but at that time, I mean, I was more muscular because I was an athlete and we lifted weights even that young. Um, so she had calculated my BMI based off of my height and weight. And I fell in the obese category when I was that young. And if you, if you saw a picture of me, I was thin. Really? I guess my bones were heavy. No, I'm just kidding. You got them thick bones. (laughs) (laughs) Big boned. Have you seen that meme? The big bones? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah. You can you can be on you you can like how you look in the mirror mm-hmm. and BMI still tell you that you're overweight or right. obese. Which is why it's a decent general guide and a bad specific guide. Mm-hmm. It doesn't point you in a specific direction, it just gives you general ideas of right. where you're going. So don't go calculate your BMI right now and then let that be your driver. Right. But it can point you in a direction if you calculate your BMI and it's like you're obese. Okay, well, you might at least need to check into that. Yeah. Because yeah. if it says you're obese and you haven't lifted a weight in 40 years, well, it might be true. Yeah. It really might. Mm-hmm. It could be eye-opening. Yeah. But if it says you're overweight and you've been really hitting the gym hard recently, okay. Then there's some room for nuance and you need to consider right. the different possibilities. Yeah. Well, that was probably more than we needed to talk about BMI. But we've referenced it, so we wanted to get that on the, on the table. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we've talked about why. So where do we start? If, if my goal is I want to lose weight, I, it's that general, right? I want to lose mm-hmm. fat. Where do, I, where do I start? Yeah, I think we got to start where we normally talk about starting things, which is, you know, what's your goal? What are you, what are you shooting for? How much fat do you have to lose? Why are you losing it? What are the things you want to see or see different, see change? What are the things you want to feel? What are the things you want to do? Mm-hmm. And so you got to figure out where you're headed and you got to yeah. figure out where you are so you can identify what we call the gap and the gain. So you identify the gap between where you want to get and what it's going to take to gain the difference, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So if you had to choose a specific number, where do you come up with a number or do you? Yeah. If you if I'm trying to determine how much weight I want to lose, it would be probably dependent on my history and my body fat. Uh, but another thing would, if you really have nowhere to go, you actually can use the BMI yeah. and just kind of reverse the equation, mm-hmm. <laughs> go back and then plug in, okay, what would, what would my BMI be if I dropped 20 pounds Yeah, and see if it came out better. So that's something you can do. Uh, you can also talk to your doctor 
If you mm -hmm. just ask your doctor, do I need to lose weight? And if so, how much should I lose? Yeah. You could also work with a coach. If you want to work with a, a nutrition or a fitness coach and ask them for their opinion. Sure. Uh, if you have zero training history whatsoever and you have measured your BMI or you've just simply taken stock and realized that you are overweight, at least you weigh more than you want to weigh and you know that it's fat mass, then a, a less aggressive goal is probably a good goal when you're getting kind of your feet under you. Yeah. And I would say between 5 and 15 pounds is probably an easy general ballpark. Okay. There's zero nuance to that, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, start yeah. losing weight and uh -huh. see where you can go. And of course, I'm going to sound crass here, but if you look in the mirror and you know, okay, legitimately people would say, I am fat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, then you can be more aggressive if you would like to be in your overall weight loss goal. You look in the mirror and you think, okay, I would like to lose 50 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds. Okay. That's all fine you're still going to start with the same 5 to 15-pound goal. Okay. It's going to be the short-term, can I get this ball rolling? The answer is yes, you can. But can I get this ball rolling? Mm -hmm. And then once I lose 5, 10, or 15 pounds, how do I look? How do I feel? What's my diet like? Yeah. Am I exercising, et cetera? And then what systems do we need to optimize? So it sounds like the short-term goal would be pretty similar. Yes. But the long-term goal could vary uh, exponentially really yes, which would change some of those nutritional phases sure okay so you said uh, that's a good place to start what about time frame wise as far as that short-term goal you're saying five to 15 pounds um, how aggressive should I be with that like how long should it take me to get there or do you do you think that's specific for all individuals what, do you, what have you seen with that? The, the more body fat you have to lose in general, the more aggressive you can be. The more dialed in with your nutrition you are, the more aggressive you can be. And those two extremes tend to, don't tend to coincide a whole lot, right? So we don't tend to have a whole lot of bodybuilders that have just tons and tons of body fat. But we do tend to have bodybuilders go on very aggressive fat loss diets. Yeah. And they can make it happen. So all that to say... The, the average person is probably only going to want to lose about one to two pounds per week. And if you wrote that out into an equation, it would be, excuse me, into a percentage, it would probably be somewhere between 0.5 and 2% total, depending on your size. That's why the range is pretty big of your body weight per week. Mm -hmm. So for, uh, to make the math simple, a 200 pound person, 0.5% of their body weight per week is one pound per week. Okay. So is that what drives the length of the phase? The percentage or yeah. the amount? Both. Yes. So if you yeah. use the percentage yeah. to get the amount you yes. need to lose. Yes. Yeah. So if you're doing 2% per week, uh -huh. um, that would be pretty aggressive. Let's just say one pound per week. If uh -huh. you're doing one pound per week, um, general diet protocols probably should not extend longer than around 16 weeks. That's about four months. And so if you did a pound a week for 16 weeks, you lose 16 pounds. Mm -hmm. For people that have a big weight loss goal, they want to lose... 50 plus pounds that yeah. sounds uh way too slow and it, it can be you can go faster than that sure but the general length is probably maximum around 16 weeks why is that there's a couple of reasons there are some legitimate changes that could occur to basal metabolic rate the basal metabolic rate is hard to damage and it takes a while but it can be affected mm -hmm. we briefly mentioned that in our last episode uh but if you do see changes in your basal metabolic rate and weight loss becomes more difficult, 
then you really only have two options for increasing your rate of weight loss, which is either eat less or move more. And sure. if you're already eating very few calories and you're already moving seemingly as much as you can, well, it just gets really hard to pull the lever any yeah, you're harder. You're on a plateau. Yeah, it's going to be pretty hard. And then the third reason is psychologically, it gets pretty challenging depending on your experience with dieting and the method that you choose, but it can get pretty challenging to be 14 weeks into a fat loss phase and not having had dessert in three of those weeks and yeah. you're not eating anything that is not uh, essentially a whole food or lean Chicken, protein. Chicken, rice, and broccoli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can just be really challenging to consider going longer than that. Yeah. Now, you don't have to just eat those foods, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about strategies that would let you eat different foods, but the the... The idea is still relevant that if you've been in a fat loss phase for a while, you've been restricting your calories in some capacity, which is how you lose weight, then you're probably psychologically going to be a little bit fatigued from the process. And it's a good idea to reset. Yeah. Especially if you're thinking about training hard on top of that. Exactly. I mean, you've got to fuel the body somehow and and you're just going to be running on fumes at that point. Mm -hmm. All right. So that, um, 16 weeks is what seems to be kind of the upper limit from from the literature and right. from experience. experience yeah. And you could go as low as six weeks or four weeks. You could do a mini cut for two to four yeah. weeks. But upper limit's probably around 16 weeks for most people. Although you can go longer. It's sure. just for most people, it's probably 16. So say the goal is 50 pounds mm-hmm. and you want to be um, fairly conservative with that. So say you decide... I'm going to shoot for a pound a week and I'm, I'm going to do the 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens? So you've lost 16 pounds. Mm-hmm. You want to get to 50 at the 16 week mark. What do you do? Do you take a, a break? Do maintenance? How long does that maintenance last? Does the training change? What does that look like? So our homies over at RP strength actually put out a sort of a calculation that you can do that I really appreciate on maintenance. And it's, you essentially have to evaluate your status at the end of whatever phase that you're in. So if you're in the fat loss phase and you've been going for 16 weeks and you've been losing consistently about a pound a week, if it feels effortless and you've only, quote unquote, only lost about 16 pounds in that time frame, you should probably still take a break, but it probably doesn't have to be super long. It can probably only be about a month or two to reset and get back into it. But if you've been dieting really hard for 16 weeks and you actually lost more on average Mm -hmm. than one pound per week. Maybe you lost 20, 24 pounds over the course of 16 weeks. And at the end of 16 weeks, you are burnt out. Sure. You you can't stomach the thought of another rice cake and you're dying for a quarter pounder from McDonald's or whatever. Like you're, you're starting to have dreams about food. (laughs) If that's you, then you need to go on maintenance. You need to be careful when you do it and you need to go for longer. Yeah. And so it really just depends on your status at the end of that fat loss phase. But regardless, when you finish a, finish a fat loss phase, you must enter maintenance. And we can talk about why that is if you want to. Yeah. Well, maybe we should even talk about what maintenance is. Yeah. So for someone who is 50 pounds overweight and they want to get, you know, they lose the 16, 20 pounds, whatever the first 16 weeks, their maintenance probably won't look like what it did when they were 50 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go back to the diet that they had before. Mm -hmm. So now they've got to configure up Mm -hmm. to their new maintenance. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, how would you describe maintenance? And then what what does that look like in trying to figure out uh, that phase for you? 
So maintenance is intentionally eating this, the correct amount of calories to maintain your body weight or to get very close to maintaining your body weight. Many people tend to increase their body weight just a little bit when they go into a quote unquote maintenance phase because you tend to be eating more carbs and carbs mm-hmm. hold water. And you could also just be accidentally overeating a couple of times per week here and there. It's not crazy to go up one, three or five pounds in a maintenance phase. So a one, two, three, four month phase. Sure. But the goal is to intentionally increase your calories. So you ended a fat loss phase, you had restricted your calories for a long time, you intentionally and very slowly increase your calories to kind of, quote unquote, reset your metabolism, to re-enter, um, uh, excuse me, to enter perhaps for a first time a new set point, a physiological set point, which is a legitimate, art, well, it's a, it's a legitimate phenomenon in nutritional research where the body tends to enjoy staying at a certain body weight once it's acquired that weight for a certain amount of time. And so if you would like to lose weight and keep it off, then you need to lose weight and keep it off. <laughs> you need to practice <laughs> yeah. being at the new body weight. So say mm-hmm. you went from 220 down to 205. That's yeah. a success, first of all. Mm-hmm. But then you need to practice keeping your body at 205. Because if you go back to your old habits, odds are high, you're going to pop all that weight back on. Sure. And you may even do it in a month. Yeah. And that would be incredibly disheartening. Absolutely. So you need to, you need to slowly re-enter... Uh, a eucaloric or um, eating slightly more calories intentionally with the goal of teaching your body to stay at that um, greater calories but less weight state, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you gauge that maintenance, again, based on your status at the end. And entering maintenance is as simple as adding in one or two snacks or one or two portions across the whole day. Yeah. So usually it's around 200 to 500 calories increased per day from your diet calories or your fat loss calories. Yeah, which is probably something we need to talk a little more a bit talk a little bit more about is the the calorie restriction on the front end. So going into a fat loss. So what how many calories do you cut? Mm-hmm. which is going to be dependent on how aggressive you want to be, That's of right. course. But what does that look like range-wise? If you're going to lose a pound a week, you're going to cut about 500 calories per day. And that's the recommended range, partially because it's been fairly well studied that a one pound of fat, if you were to burn it, <laughs> it's called bomb <laughs> calorimetry, but one pound of fat contains about 3,500 calories. Mm-hmm. And so if you lose, sorry, if you undereat by about 500 calories per day, over the seven days, you'll lose 3,500 calories worth of energy, and that energy will come out as 3,500 calories ish of fat. That's that's the one pound of fat. Yeah, one calorie. Yes, <laughs> one pound. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal, anyway. Uh, so that's the ballpark number to start with. If you were going to count your calories, you don't have to count calories. We'll talk about how you can lose weight without counting calories. But if you were going to set up your calories, that's how you do it. If you want to get more aggressive, it's normally normally iterations of one, two, or three hundred or so. Yeah. I'd probably do 250 just to keep the the twos, fives, and zeros going, you know, <laughs> in my mind. But your body is not nearly as granular as that. Like your sure. body's not like, oh, you only gave me 247 right. calories less today. Yeah. I'm not going to lose any weight. Uh-huh. It's not like that at all. That's why we give fairly large numbers. Mm-hmm. But you can see why getting more aggressive than 500 calories per day can be risky. Uh-huh. Like if you're already only eating 1,500 calories a day and you're yeah. maintaining your weight and you drop 500 calories, you're eating 1,000 <laughs> calories a day. You're eating half of what the government recommends that you eat yeah. <laughs> to stay alive. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, so on the other side of that equation, you've got some options too. So not just restricting what you're mm-hmm. taking in, we have the options of burning more. Mm-hmm. So what 
what options do you recommend on that side? Well, you're going to have to keep a grip on, on your caloric intake, no matter what. So yeah. whether you want to just increase calorie burn or decrease calorie intake or both, you got to keep a grip on your calories. Cause we talked about this last, um, last episode as well. But if you did a bunch more activity, odds are high you're going to feel hungrier. Yeah. And if you just eat intuitively, according to that hunger, you're not going to lose any weight. You may sure. even gain some weight yeah. if you select the incorrect foods. But essentially, you would look for ways of increasing daily calorie burn. And you can do that by intentional exercise, but you can also do it with non-exercise active thermogenesis, which we talked about Isn't last that podcast. Neat? That's so neat. <laughs> but you can, you can find ways to expend more energy during the day that are not exercise. We talked about a couple of those examples, but that would be like walking more. There's tons of strategies to walk more, but you can really just count your steps. Yeah. And your phone's already tracking it. If you have a smartwatch, it's tracking it. So you can go on a run, you can go on a walk, you can park your car farther farther away in the parking lot from where you shop or where you work. You can uh, take the dog out for a walk. You can play with your kids. Uh, there's a bunch of different things, different strategies that you can use to increase your walking. Mm-hmm. And increasing walking increases calorie burn. Yeah. And it's pretty easy on the body, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you're not pounding your knees going for a 10-minute run during lunch break or whatever. That's right. So talking about that other side of the equation, so we've got the neat, but we do have exercise, That's like right. you said. So what do you typically, what kind of exercise do you want to be training? What do you pair with fat loss? Because so in my mind, when I was you know a high school, young college student, before I learned much about this, I just thought, okay, if I want to lose weight, the fastest way and best way for me to do that is go out every single day and run as long as I can, as mm-hmm. fast as I can, as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to do it. Now I know there's a little nuance to mm-hmm. it. So what do you think in your professional opinion, Johnny Wilson, <laughs> uh, is a good training type or type of training to pair with fat loss? Well, first let me ask you, did it work when you did all that hard running? I mean, I, I lost weight, yeah. but I plateaued really fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty common. So the cool thing is, like, running does work. That's mm-hmm. why people do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. burns tons of calories in an individual session. Yeah, now, you don't really burn a whole lot of calories, you know, the rest of the day. But that bump could be a three, four, five, six hundred calorie bump in your day. Yeah, and that's all you need mm-hmm. to start I'd, losing weight. But like you said, I was hungrier. Yep, <laughs> and so I probably did <laughs> eat more. <laughs> that's right. I was a college student though, so I couldn't afford to eat that much more. Right, right. Which this, you know, helpful in and of itself. But the the general principle is that running is great for energy burn. But we, we mentioned in the last episode as well that muscle is calorically expensive to the body. In other words, it, it requires a high energy expenditure to maintain, which is why having lots of muscle is useful when you're trying to do a fat loss phase mm-hmm. because the body will burn more energy than if it did not have that right. muscle. Yeah. Think about it. Fat is stored energy. Mm-hmm. Muscle consumes energy yeah so the more fat stores you have the less you need energy the more muscle you have the more you need energy yeah so that's that's one nod to what i'm about to say which is if you're doing a fat loss phase and you want to look good <laughs> at the end of it i recommend doing training that's going to stimulate muscle growth yeah now, we also talked about uh, fat loss phases not being a good time to grow muscle that's still true however you need to be doing training that requires the maintenance of muscle at the very least because what you don't want to do is go into a a deficit the body this is a very colloquial understanding but the body looks for its most expensive things it's kind of like if you're on a budget you look for the the 
the things that are the most expensive in your lifestyle that are bringing you the least value and you cut them out. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing workouts that are stimulating muscle growth, the body doesn't see those muscles as necessary. Mm. And it will shunt energy away from those muscles and they'll atrophy as yeah. a result. Yeah. And so you lose body weight, but a lot of it could be coming from muscle tissue, which okay. when you get the end of your cut, you'll be weaker, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, you won't necessarily look leaner. Sure. <laughs> you just look like a smaller version of what you already were. Yeah. Most people don't prefer that. Most people want to have shape to their body, which is why right. I say we're getting in shape. Yeah. And why so many girls say they want to get toned. That's right. They Which is, if muscle. you want to uh, set Johnny Wilson off on a 10-minute <laughs> rant, tell him that. <laughs> no, we're not going to go into it right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, the idea of toning is ridiculous to me. Again, I'm not going to get into it right now. Okay, well, let, let me get you back on track then. So you said that requires maintenance of muscle, training that requires the muscle to maintain, essentially. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So in the gym, what does that actually look like? It's resistance training, and it's... It has to be um, resistance training that approximates failure. And so what I mean by that is technical failure predominantly, but also muscular failure. So if you think the simple, easiest example would be push-ups, right? If I do push-ups until I fail, then that's technical and muscular failure in that set. So I do push-ups until I can't do them anymore in one set. And I mean legitimate failure, not just, oh, I didn't feel good and I got tired. That's when (laughs) most people give up, by the way. Most people say I give that, up then. <laughs> most this is I promise this is the thing that I think holds people back and they don't know it in the gym is they assume that pain, fatigue or discomfort equates to failure and it does not. Yeah. And so you train, you're doing push-ups and it gets hard and you start to slow down and it starts to hurt and you stop because you're you're almost, you know, about to run out of juice. Right. Well, you probably could have squeaked out three more reps mm-hmm. and that right there, those three reps are the most stimulating reps in the whole set and yeah. you lost them. You didn't do them. And so you didn't grow any muscle <laughs> because you didn't do those last three reps. Yeah. Because the literature is clear on this, that muscle growth happens most prevalently when we approximate failure and approximation happens within about three reps from failure. Yeah. And so to make another example of how we're doing bench press and how we're doing reps with 135 uh-huh. and I stopped when I started to slow down a little bit and I got a little tired, but I could have done four more reps before I straight up could not put the bar off of my chest anymore. Then I might grow a little bit, but odds yeah. are high. I would grow very little muscle tissue, at yeah. least noticeably. Most of the significant gains come within three reps from failure. Yeah. So we, I've heard you use the term reps in reserve, mm-hmm. right? So how many reps are you leaving on the table mm-hmm. essentially? Mm-hmm. Please, if you're training by yourself, don't get to zero <laughs> Not <laughs> on the bench, bench press. press. <laughs> <laughs> on the push-ups, sure, by all sure. means. Yeah. Technical failure might look a little different if you're bench pressing. Yes. Um, but the the literature, too, is pretty interesting, That which I think is a little counterintuitive to me, that getting close to failure is more important than the weight you have on the bar. Yes. Which... For me, if I can do more weight and get to failure faster, that's what I'm going to do. Yes, right. <laughs> but say I'm not getting to that 80 to 90% one rep max, uh, or well, depending on how I'm training, but I'm not hitting those higher numbers and I'm doing 
lower weight, as long as I'm getting to technical failure, I'm still stimulating muscle growth. Mm-hmm. And I think for females that can be uh, a little intimidating too, thinking about failure because yes. you're thinking about lifting really heavy weights. Mm-hmm. But the research has shown, no, it's just technical failure. It might take you 37 reps to get there with a five-pound dumbbell. Mm -hmm. But if you get there, then you're going to stimulate the muscle to grow. Yeah, and there's some nuance there because the the studied ranges that seem to be beneficial for hypertrophy are between 6 and 30 reps. It's a massive range. Yeah. It gets really hard to quantify after 30 reps Mm -hmm. because it gets really hard to predict what was failure. Yeah. Like if I'm doing... Donkey kicks, okay, it's one of my least favorite exercises, but girls do them. And I, I do 25. Did I stop at 25 because I was bored, spiritually <laughs> tired of donkey kicks? Like, <laughs> was I just so tired mentally of doing the movement that I stopped, or was it real failure? Yeah. The same thing could be said for curls or bench press or any other movement. Like, sure. if we get up to 30, am I failing because I physically can't move anymore? Yeah. Or am I failing because I'm just tired of doing the thing? Right. You know? And here's the other thing. Most people don't train to failure at 30 reps because it hurts so bad for yeah. so long. Can yeah. you imagine doing slow eccentric bench press for 30 reps? It would rip no. your sternum in half. <laughs> It'd be insane. So I do agree with you. I think if I could get less reps and approximate failure, yeah. then I would enjoy it more in the in the gym. However, if you if you fail before around six reps, you're probably not growing at least ideal amounts of muscle tissue. You're not stimulating ideal amounts of muscle growth, which means if you if you ballpark your numbers and you accidentally fail at four reps instead of getting to six, that was your goal. Well, you're not going to grow as much that day. Okay. Straight up. So kind of round this all out for maintaining muscle during fat loss. What the training regimen looks like is resistance training. Yes. With technical failure, mm-hmm. with reps greater than six per set per set yeah about how many sets are you looking at i mean i know that's gonna that's gonna vary from week to week if you're doing any sort of periodization and muscle group to muscle group yeah you want to ballpark between 10 and 20 sets per week and you want to work each muscle group at least twice per week so that means if you have only two days to use weights to train with you do total body and you train every muscle group on every day you go into train so if you go on a tuesday and friday and you do resistance training total body and you do 10 to 20 sets across those two days on each muscle group approximating failure with rep ranges from 6 to 30. Those sound like brutal days. Brutal days. Yeah, yeah. this is why I'm telling you most people go into the gym and they're just goobing around. They straight up they're just <laughs> goobing around cuz I'm like, man, if you only had 2 days to work out and you came yeah. here and this is what you're doing, that's why you don't have results, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. And it sucks. That training is really hard, which is why most of the time I tell people, just train more. Like Go in there three, four, or five times yeah. per week so you don't hate your life every time you go to right. the gym. I'm just thinking of like the central nervous fatigue, mm-hmm. too, that I would have from training that way. It is brutal. Now, you can, you can also, you probably should, if you're only training resistance training twice per week, you probably should do some cardio as well. Sure, yeah. You need to be doing two, three sessions of distinct cardio exercise. Doesn't mean you need to be, doesn't mean need to be doing sprints you should just be doing intentional calorie burning exercises yeah jogging ellipticaling yeah. biking something to get the heart rate up. yeah something yeah. like that all right so you just heard the first half of our conversation 
on strategies for fat loss. That first half covered the principles behind fat loss, and the second half of our conversation is going to be in the next episode, and we're going to cover some strategies for optimal fat loss. So if you want to learn more about that, check us out in the next episode. We'll see you there.